Hello, and welcome to Crumbling Empires, an ongoing conversation about how we live here and now in the midst of crumbling empires with realism and with hope. I'm Lindsay Medford, author of My Body and Other Crumbling Empires. My guest today is Courtney Ellis. She is the author of Present, The Gift of Being All In, Right Where You Are. And this conversation was so enjoyable, and it was also so inspiring and equally practical, which is such a sweet spot for the first episode of this show. I'm really excited to share it with you. If you are listening to this podcast via a Substack email, please know that it is being distributed through all the quote-unquote regular podcast channels as well. So if it's more convenient for you to listen via your Apple podcast, Spotify, whatever other app you use, you can go ahead and subscribe to Crumbling Empires there. And if you have found us via Apple or Spotify or any other podcast app, you are welcome to join us at my Substack newsletter where you'll find some of these reflections that are in other episodes. You can read them. Um, you can keep up with me, keep up with our guests, and join the community there. So, with that housekeeping done, this is my interview with Courtney Ellis. Hi, I'm Lindsay Medford, and this is the Crumbling Empires podcast. I'm here today with Courtney Ellis. She's the author of the new book, Present, The Gift of Being All In Right Where You Are. Thank you so much for being here, Courtney. Thanks for having me, Lindsay. This is so fun. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, I was so excited just to hear that you were writing this book a while back when you were writing it, um, because I know you cited in your book, The Wisdom of Stability by Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove. And I read that book in grad school and was like totally blown away by it. Um, feeling this sense, I was living in Boston in grad school. I'd heard a lot of people around me sort of bemoaning the transient nature of that city. Everyone there is like in school or on their way to somewhere else. And I was really feeling the strain of being in my 20s, moving from state to state a bunch of times. And so to when I read The Wisdom of Stability, I was like, oh, there's a whole Christian tradition of caring for one place, being with the same people in the same place for decades at a time and, and seeing that as a way of witnessing to God's work in the world. Um, and I found that really comforting, even though I was not able to, you know, plant my roots in Boston and stay there forever just because I had had this revelation, you know? Um, so you, you also, you're, you write at the, at the very beginning of your book about what you call the transient nature of our current culture. Um, I would really love to hear you expand on that and your experience of it and what that means to you. Yeah. So my husband and I have been married about 16 years. And the first eight years of our marriage, we had moved six times. And people asked us if we were in witness protection. We're like, no, we're just in graduate school. <laughs> this is this is graduate school and and entry-level jobs and and moving around. And I I heard someone 
preach a sermon on the blessing of stability and kind of this monastic practice of stability. And for the first time realized that, you know, I'm a child of the church. I grew up in Sunday school and heard so many sermons about go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go, go, Mm -hmm. go, go. But it turns out that the Greek there is not travel far afield. The Greek means as you go about your life. Like in your normal, like as you go to the store, as you go to the market, as you go to the river, tell people this story. And it really transformed my understanding of what it is God calls us to do. Sometimes God does call us, you know, across the country. And I think our culture and and our generation, I'm a bit older than you, but I'm just going to lump myself in with our generation, Lindsay, um, (laughs) is a very transient generation in large part due to things like schooling and jobs that move us around. But I think part of the key to a book like Present and understanding this wisdom and blessing of stability is blooming where we're planted for as long as we're planted there. And sometimes mm-hmm. that invitation is to, you know, I've, my one of my best friends is in the military and she moves all the time. But she said, you know, I, I live ready to leave, but I could live ready to stay until the army moves me again. And that's a very different thing. Kind of plugging in, putting down roots where we can, when we can, and it can transform our experience of the world and the difference we're able to make in the world and the difference that we're able to cultivate in our own souls. Yeah, I'm curious about this too. Um, you're a pastor, and I think pastoring itself um, has this kind of nature and then Potentially, I'm not sure, but it sounds like maybe where you live has a bit of this culture and just structure as well, where people are going in and out of your life. So you are in one place. You've been there, I don't remember how long, but several years now. But you are also having the same um, challenge from a different perspective where people come in your life. Sometimes they tell you, I'm here for six months. And sometimes, they tell you, you know, you've known them for a long time and they're like, I'm moving across the country next week. Tell me more about how you live with that. Yeah, that can be a really painful part of pastoring and ministry because you love your people, you know, even even the, yeah. the difficult people, you love them. They're the Eugene Peterson calls them the faithful opposition. You love the faithful opposition. Um, but it is hard because people do, people move. Um, we've been at this church now for eight years. My husband's a pastor on staff as well. We've been here eight years and you know, people die. And when you've known people and ministered to them and loved them and, you know, sung next to them in the choir for for eight years and they die, like it's it's a significant thing. A, a few Sundays ago, a woman who she's on our prayer ministry team, she's super involved, came up to me and said, hey, you know, my my children are in Nashville and, and I'm moving to Nashville this summer. And I felt this internal pull to like start pulling away because it's going to be painful to stay connected because I love her and now I miss her already. But I think that the deeper call to us is to not shy away from that grief that love causes and to stay connected. It's it's one of the hardest things, but it's also one of the most beautiful things that God calls us to both in the in the church community and, and outside of it to find ways to be connected faithfully for the time that God allows. Because, you know, the person one pew over who plans to stay in this community for another 40 years could could get struck by lightning and die tomorrow. Like we don't know how much time we have. So with the time we have, with the people who are in front of us, how can we, how can we stay connected? And it's a, it's a challenge. It's a constant, constant challenge. Yeah. Is there a way that you sort of 
think about that grief or process that grief that helps you kind of stay in in the almost a cycle here of loving people and letting them go or how do, yeah how do you stay there i love the the biblical invitation to lament because I think the solution is not to say, this doesn't hurt. It's fine. I'm good. No problem. You know, And she's moving <laughs> for a good reason. She's not coming to us saying, I'm really mad about that sermon you preached and I'm out. We get that sometimes. This is not that. Um, but to to give that grief to the Lord and and to understand that that grief is, is born out of love and connection and care. And that doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. Um, but that's the flip side to, to joy and connection and love is it opens us up to great loss but that's one of the only ways to be really alive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really, I love that about the, the title present um, because I think a lot of your illustrations in this book come from your experience of staying in one place. Um, but you're also talking about, like you've said, already a wider experience of choosing to be all in whether you know that you get to stay there or not and you want to stay where you are but like you just said you don't know if you if something drastic will happen and um so i really appreciate that um presence is something even stability in a way is something we can practice whether we can control our living situation or not. Um, and that's a big piece of it. I mean, we live in a world of immigrants and refugees and people who are forced from their homes. It's not just a choice. It's not a choice for, I would say, for the majority of us between job changes and transfers and educational requirements and living in a world where people are forced from their homes. So it's it's less a there's a way to do this properly and more a when God puts you somewhere, when your circumstances put you somewhere, how can you be present in that place for as long as you're in that place? Yeah. And you brought that up with um, having where, where you live, there are wildfires in California. Um, Not my favorite time and, of year. <laughs> yeah. Where I just moved from, we had hurricanes and then some people are of course more permanently um removed from their homes for different reasons. Um, and I think one thing also that I have found to be really true is that if there's like a flip side where we, where we think that if we close ourselves off from being totally all in or um, start to pull away from people when we're not sure if they can stay in our lives, we think that we are, avoiding risk uh, or in avoiding grief. But there's also becomes this like, it also becomes hard on in its own way. Um, even whether you move, move to a new place, like as an example with moving to new places, whether you go somewhere by choice or by circumstance that you didn't choose, uh, if you, when I have not really fully decided to find what I love about a place, explore what there is to explore, um, discover whatever is unique about that place, whether, you know, whether that feels like home to me or not, 
when I don't do that, then I start to kind of lose my sense of literally of where I am in the world. And then even of who I am or, and all the places start to seem interchangeable. And I, for some reason, I'm trying to avoid using the word shallow because <laughs> it's it's really easy to just like point at the world and be like, everything is so shallow. Um, but there's like, a, there is a real loss when we lose a sense of, of place um, or when we lose a sense of connectedness to other people just because we're trying to avoid something. Absolutely. I think over time it, it makes us smaller, you know, smaller relationally and it can make us smaller spiritually when we live in this kind of self-protective posture. Um, there, there is a cost, you know, I think, um, we, we have three fairly young children and we're kind of those, we're not full on free range parents, but we're the parents who are at the playground <laughs> and we're letting them play in the bushes and we're letting them climb the trees. And, you know, they're, they're off the, the official playground equipment and they're doing their own thing. They're off roading and, and every once in a while, I'll see a parent go up to our four-year-old and say, you know, where is your mommy? Are you okay? Where is your mommy? And I'm like, okay, first of all, I can see her from where I'm sitting. Like, we're good. I'm giving her a little freedom. But I think it, in the same way that that parenting example kind of illustrates the, you can keep your kids really, really safe, but at what cost? You know, what cost to the expansiveness of their soul and the, you know, the big pokey stick she found in the bushes and the fact that she had a little adventure on her own. And there's risk to that, but there's also growth that happens. And I think the same is, is true with us when we're able to risk a little bit more relationally and spiritually and emotionally. Um, there's, there's potential for really beautiful payoff. Hmm. What and what like are there really specific places also that you find a really strong sense of safety that allows you to take those risks? Yeah, I think one of the things the you know silver linings of the p- terrible pandemic we all lived through was um, I really deepened friendships with people across the country because it didn't matter whether we were in the same place or not. Even those of us in the same place were not hanging out together in the same way. And so I think those deep relationships that travel with you um, can be a really wonderful way of grounding when you have to pick up and move. And that doesn't mean you're not going to invest in the community right in front of you. And I think there are real things to be gained from gathering in in in-person worship, even though we could all worship at you know the biggest fanciest church in New York City every Sunday from the comfort of our own sofas, because that physical presence with people really does matter. But having those relationships mediated digitally over Marco Polo or over the phone or over text, where those friends can travel with us throughout the course of our lives, even if circumstances move us on, um, is really a tremendous, tremendous gift. The three, my three dearest, closest friends that I talk to almost every day live nowhere near me. They live nowhere near me, but we talk every day. I feel like I, you know, I see their life. I know their life. And that's a tremendous gift. And we can be present to each other when we're not present to each other. Yeah, that has been so interesting for me as well. That um, keeping up, keeping up with people outside of like a really long phone call um, has not come naturally to me in the past, but it's it's starting to be something that I am willing to prioritize a lot more um, because of what you're saying. And because people are not, <laughs> the, long, the, the older I get, 
you're a 32. <laughs> more <laughs> I realize um, that people are not are not interchangeable, and um, I almost got a, some sort of an impression at some point in my life that well, sometimes you leave your friends and you get other friends, and then you you just got you got different like Lego people friends. <laughs> That's not really how it works. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. I was a I was a guest speaker at a church a number of years ago and they said, you know, we had these small groups that have been together for 10, 15 years and the people really loved each other. And we said, we can't do that. We got to bust up those small groups. People have to make new friends. And I was like, these people have been through cancer treatments together and the death of spouses. And, you know, like you can't, you can't do that. I understand the impulse to break up clicks and you want to be welcoming to newcomers and all those things are important, but you can't trade the depth of relationship and just decide like you're going to, you know, detach from this group of friends and reattach to this other group over here and it will be exactly the same. It won't. People are different. Every person is unique. Every relationship is unique. Yeah, that's true. I we had when I was a kid, we had like this whole big there was some sort of like push to make make all small group programs be the same and they had to break up all the time <laughs> because of what you're saying to avoid clicks but um i'm not i'm just not sure that's how human beings operate like it might be a cool system in theory but <laughs> um i i'm curious um as you've lived this as you're starting to see the book go out and the idea you've um preached on these ideas and shared them with people how does this practice of being present in a in ways like especially in your book a lot of your illustrations and the things you're exhorting us to are hyper local um how do you see that um way of being or those actions beginning to change the wider cultures or the wider world that we've been lamenting a little bit here yeah i think all all change is local and all hope in a way is both universal and local. I, I often, I'm an introvert and I'll often say to my husband, you know, I like people in general. And he's like, you can't like people in general. Like that's not a thing. Um, and, and we are each a part of a particular community. And I think, you know, as, as authors, we talk about platform and what's your reach and how many people are you encountering? And, and yes, authors want to sell books. This is how I pay for swim lessons. Swim lessons are expensive and I want my kids to live. <laughs> and it's also about this local presence. And that in many ways is the biggest difference we can make is the conversation at the mailbox with a neighbor who's going through grief. It's the getting to know the name of the person at one of the biggest prides in my life is that when I go into our local donut store, I know everybody's name and they all know my name and, <laughs> and I'm there way too much. But that, that idea of local community where you are known and where you know others and where you walk together through this difficult and beautiful and hopeful life that we have, all change at the end of the day is local. It's getting that crosswalk put in so the kids are safe walking across the road. It's realizing, you know, our church partners with a local elementary school. It's a Spanish immersion school. Our kids attend it, but they've they've worked to have a community garden there. And now, you know, I can believe all the things I believe about the environment and stewardship and creation and caring for the earth. But the fact that we're growing green things in this garden and sending them home with kids, many of whom are food insecure, 
is is more than any meme I'm ever going to put on social media. It's more in many ways <laughs> than any donation I'm going to make to any environmental organization. It's making a difference in the life the lives of these families right here. Um, and I think sometimes we get so global in our scope, we get paralyzed. <laughs> but everyone can weed at the community garden for half an hour. Like we can do that, and that can make a huge difference, a huge small difference. What is it? Mother yeah. Teresa, was it Mother Teresa who said, we, we don't do great things. We do small things with great love. I'm paraphrasing, mm -hmm. paraphrasing Mother Teresa. Yeah. I was laughing because I never get tired of seeing you post about the donuts. Right. <laughs> and also <laughs> as a fellow gluten-free person, I, <laughs> I think, um, as a, it probably brings me a special delight because I also can't eat gluten. So I just share your sense of utter thrill when you find anything um, that not only that you can eat, but also tastes good. <laughs> right? They make regular donuts. They make vegan donuts. They do it all. Yeah. They're my Look favorite. At that. <laughs> um, JD Flannels in Orange County. If anyone listening lives out here or is going to visit, I'll buy you a donut. Hmm. Maybe I will visit soon. Um, yeah, I I really got the impression like in my early 20s and when I was starting to learn about these, like some, you know, the true scope of climate change, you just mentioned the environment um, or and food insecurity, these huge issues. And I almost got this impression that um, in, in, in church circles, sometimes we call it charity versus justice, where, where um, charity being these acts of love that take place in our lives with our neighbors um, in, on the, that smaller scale. And then justice being looking out towards the systemic problems or attitudes or cultures that are causing the issues we're trying to solve with our acts of charity, right? And I got this impression from a lot of people that these were almost like opposed, that if you wanted to do one, you could not do the other. <laughs> um, <clears throat> which for, to be fair, we all have limited resources and limited time and there, <laughs> some of us do have to choose where to focus. And, and I think some of us are going to naturally um, like lean towards one or the other in our gifts and our interest. Um, but uh, I have, it, since I've been in more activist circles and started to understand how governments and local governments work, I become more and more convinced of what you're saying about change being local at, at, at the very least without the local change the systemic change and the the big things big acts of legislation or organizations that look important actually become sort of hollow and ineffective really quickly yeah, for sure. For sure. And by all means, vote or march or protest or all of those things. But I think there is a trap where we believe because we're not the person up at the podium leading this profound, tremendous national change that 
then we're kind of off the hook or our little actions don't matter. And the answer is both. You know, God calls people to be Dorothy Day, but God also calls people to be the unknown person in my neighborhood who is is working to make sure that the recycling goes to where it needs to go, that, that the world needs both. And in different seasons, we may be called to different things. You know, there are times where God calls me to speak really clearly from the pulpit about something in front of hundreds of people. And then there are times <laughs> where God calls me to, to weed the garden. And that's true for each of us. I think the part of the call is the willingness and the availability but also an understanding and acceptance of our own limits. The the middle section of, of the book of present is about accepting our own limits, that limits actually can be a grace from God. And, you know, we were the parents who we had our first baby and we're like, this baby is not going to slow us down. We're just going to do everything the same way we did. And then we're like, we're so tired, we're going to die. <laughs> it's like, maybe, maybe in this season, God has given us these limits. And instead of spending all our energy fighting against them, we could accept them and realize that there is something different for us in this season. And it is not going to be, you know, the the national speaking tour. It is going to be the play date. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just to make another note here, we do the same thing in church um, where we're like, well, how many, how many new members did you get this year? And what are you going to get on the the denominational national speaking circuit anytime soon? And meanwhile, and we like to preach. Like, I think church is a place I've heard a lot that like the person that cleans the bathroom and holds the babies is really important. But do we, do we just kind of say that as an idea from the pulpit or do we figure out how to practice that more? Right. And and what does it mean that we are all called to different things in different seasons and to, you know, kind of accept what God hands us in different seasons? I went through a four-month period this year where I lost my voice. I had no voice. I saw every specialist under the sun, and it turned out to be a whole combination of factors. But you know, I was like, who who am I as a pastor, as a speaker, when I don't have a voice? And it was a very clear limit. You can't really pastor by email. I tried. You can't really pastor <laughs> by text. But in this season of limits, you know, I learned more about my community and who I could lean on. And I was the one going up for prayer on a Sunday morning rather than offering prayer mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning. And there was such painful grace in in all of it. I, I I recently was interviewing a bunch of beekeepers for, for an article I wrote, and one of them told me that one of the beautiful things about bees is unless you're the queen or one of the males that mates with the queen, your job in the beehive will change through your life cycle. So, so at some point, mm. you're cleaning out the cells in the beehive, and then at some point, you're guarding the beehive, and then at some point, you're the one who's going out and gathering the pollen, and then at some point, you're caring for the young. And I just love that idea that it has to work in such synergy and precision but the jobs are not always the same. And I think that's true for us too, that there will be a season where we may be called to speak out more. There may be a season where we're called to a quieter way of of life and of being, and God can use them both. Mm. I love that so much. I could talk with you about that for another hour. But I, before we wrap up, I have a burning, burning authorly question did this book present the gift of being all in right where you are 
How directly did this book lead to your birding book? <laughs> yeah, they're very connected. My my next book will come out sometime 2024, and it's about birding. And I think present was my gateway into birding. I wrote present about two and a half years ago, which is right at the start of my birding practice. And in fact, for any birders out there who read my book, I was so brand new to birding that I write about a, bo- a bird and call it by the wrong name. It doesn't, the bird I write about in the book doesn't exist. So I'm waiting for emails from birders who are like, you wrote about this bird. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And my editor wasn't a birder, so she didn't catch it. So uh, that's a fun little Easter egg. Um, but yeah, you, you can't be a birder unless you've learned how to sit still a little bit. And birding is actually, has actually been one of the most influential facets of my, of my spiritual life because I, I'm a person on the go. I'm a person on the move. But when you're birding, you're sitting still, but you're sitting still in expectation. You're sitting still and you're watching. You're sitting still and you're listening. And that's what prayer is. Really, I used to throw all these words at God and God is teaching me little by little to sit and to listen and to look and to wait. I love that description of birding and of being present because I think sometimes we talk about presence and rootedness and centeredness and they start to sound like these things that weigh you down. And I love that you're talking about uh, watchfulness and expectation. Uh, Like the point is not like to change ourselves into these like super solid rock people, but to be open to what is going on around us and and connected to what is going on around us and in the flow of what is changing within and around us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Learning, learning how to pay attention, which I think is at the heart of what it means to be human and what it means to practice any spiritual practice, to learn how to tune in to what God is already doing all around us. We, during the season of Lent, we do a practice here at our church and I do it on social media called A Bird from the Lord, where you sit still for 10 mm-hmm. minutes and look for birds. And I love the feedback I get from folks in the congregation. Someone wrote to me, uh, I did your bird from the Lord thing down at the harbor and, and God sent me a crow eating a Del Taco wrapper. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's not like an omen, you know, it's, it's like, but learning how to sit still in a way that's still active, I think has been a really transformational for me and for, for a lot of folks I've, I've encountered and talked to. That's a wonderful <laughs> Del Taco. Delicious. Um, I had two closing questions um, real quick. Uh, how do you define hope? Oh, I love that question. Um, hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul, according to Emily Dickinson. Um, <laughs> I have a little podcast out there about birds and hope called The Thing with Feathers. I think hope is, I mean, for me, really, hope is the thing with feathers. And not just because birds bring me hope, but this idea that it is light and it is beautiful and it is present and it it perches in our soul even when we don't expect it to be there. I think hope is the great gift of God that keeps us going on the path that God has set before us. It's energy and grace and light and life. And there are days where we run out of it. And that's one of the reasons I'm a pastor and such a big believer in the church is there are days we need the hope of the person sitting next to us in the pew because we are out and they will hope on our behalf. Wow. So, in the midst of these 
crumbling empires in the midst of our transient culture and our our um, sometimes unraveling ecosystems. How do you seek out that hope in a really concrete way? Yeah, I keep going back to that. I'm a one trick pony with the birds. Um, but that really is a piece of it for me. We're in the middle of a spring migration. And the fact that these birds come back year after year, that hummingbirds migrate, that sparrows migrate, um, it keeps me tethered to the reminder that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And we are called absolutely to work for justice and to struggle against injustice and to stand up for one another and and for the, you know, for creation, for the planet. But at the end of the day, the work is the Lord's. And that gives me mm-hmm. tremendous hope. I'm so grateful for that reminder. And I'm so grateful for you, Courtney, and your writing work and your pastoring work and your uh, friendship with me. So thank you for being here. And uh, thank you for blessing our listeners. Lindsay, it was such a joy to be with you. And all of your listeners, if they haven't yet, need to pick up your book because it is a phenomenal read. And it has the prettiest cover of any book I've ever seen. (laughs) And I was so excited that our books were coming out the same day because we've been on this writing journey together for a long time. So what what a delight and what a gift. And thank you for having me today. Yeah, well, they have. We have been on this journey together, and I really feel strongly that these two books just are are siblings in so many other ways as well. Um, so, get them both present. The be- the gift of being all in right where you are um, has been so helpful and precious to me and my writing and living of my body and other crumbling empires. So. Thanks, Courtney. Thank you so much for joining us here at Crumbling Empires, our fledgling podcast, to use a bird metaphor. If this conversation made you think of someone in your life, go ahead and text it to them. Uh, I know that always makes me feel so special and seen when other people send me resources or shows that they really enjoyed. And that's a really easy way to. Tell a friend you were thinking about them. But if you are new to these parts, and I would just love to see more of you over at Instagram or at Substack, I am Lindsay Medford. Lindsay with a Y, you'll find me. And we'll see you another time on Crumbling Empires.